In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Given our gospel reading for the day is all about love, I was really tempted to erect a screen and just replay Bishop Curry's sermon from yesterday. Um, because I'm not quite sure I can top it or add to anything he had to say about the transformative power of love. But given the fact that you have to have a sermon and that I am not going to erect a screen, I'm going to have to give it a try. So here we go. This morning, on the fifth Sunday of Easter, rather than continuing with another resurrection story, our lectionary transports us back in time to the Last Supper, to what led up to Jesus' crucifixion. At the beginning of John's chapter 13, we hear that Jesus is aware of the fact that the time has come for his death. And the author of John's gospel proclaims to the reader that having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then we hear just how he loved them. The disciples are gathered together for their last meal, and we learn that Judas will betray Jesus. Despite this, Jesus engages in and demonstrates a true act of love by embodying the form of a servant and washing the feet of his friends. This is the story that we hear the night of Monday, Thursday. Then Judas leaves to betray Jesus after Jesus tells him to do whatever he is going to do quickly. And as soon as he leaves, but before predicting Peter's threefold denial, Jesus, in our reading this morning, dives right in to talking about glory and the importance of love because he knows he will not be with them much longer. And he knows that after he is gone, they will look for him. Now, these two words, glory and love, are words that we use quite a lot in our world but they are words which have specific meanings and implications in our text. And we will do well to examine them a bit in order to see how Jesus is expanding and deepening the disciples' understanding and our own understanding of what it means to truly glorify this God of love. Now, according to the Google Dictionary, to glorify means to praise and to worship to dignify, to elevate, or to extol. And boy, do we glorify a lot in our world. Productivity, success, busyness, Instagram influencers, picture-perfect lives, politicians, the latest gadgets, Hollywood stars, self-sufficiency, and so, so much more. But the truth is, as much as I hate to remind myself, and I have to remind myself often, all of those things that I glorify, all of the things that the world glorifies, aren't really, really real. At least, 
not for those of us who are looking for Jesus. Because all of the worldly things that we glorify and strive for don't lead to full and whole lives nestled in the heart of God. Because all of these things don't lead us to lives of living into and then out of God's unlimited and unconditional love. When the author of John's Gospel says that Jesus loved his own who were in the world to the end, he uses the Greek word telos, which has a connotation of completion. In other words, the author is not only talking about Jesus loving his disciples until the end or until the completion of his mortal life, but he is talking about Jesus loving us through our own completion. Jesus loving us into our completion as who we were created to be. And this is the truth and the reality that we should be praising and glorifying with all that we are. Because it is the truth that is real. It is the truth that can change everything about our lives and our world. And it is the truth that is so fully and completely demonstrated in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In our reading today, Jesus says the word glorify five times. Now, the Greek word for glorify in this reading means to ascribe weight to something by recognizing the real substance or the real value. In other words, glorifying God means valuing and extolling God for who God really is. It is extolling, acclaiming, and elevating God's true character, God's true essence, as known through Jesus. Rather than extolling or acclaiming or elevating any other God or even any other image or expectation that we might have of God. In talking about glory, Jesus is teaching them, right before he is about to be crucified, what truly deserves to be glorified, love. He is inviting his disciples and you and me to glorify God, who really is a God of love, as known through this self-sacrificing, foot-washing Messiah, this Jesus not a warrior like Messiah who would annihilate the oppressive forces of the time through military might, but this Jesus who loves with abandon, with all of himself and all of his life. This Jesus who washes his friend's feet. This Jesus who will end up on a cross, laying down his life for his friends and for you and for me. This Jesus who calls us to a similar life of self-giving, unconditional, foot-washing, servant love. Because he knows that it is the only way to a life of wholeness and fullness. The only way to a life of completion. But you know, as much as I know, that the work of love is really hard. To love is to engage in an act of vulnerability. It is to give our whole selves. 
It is to give our hearts and our bodies and ourselves to the world for the betterment of ourselves and of our bodies and of our world and of our neighbor, knowing that we can be hurt or betrayed or denied because to love is to be present in such a way that each and every single one of us, including ourselves, can grow into being who we were created to be, rather than to be coerced into the image of who or what we expect ourselves or someone else to be. To love is to glorify the innate dignity and worth and sacredness of ourselves and of each other. And because of all of this, to love is to open ourselves up to the greatest possible reward, being seen and understood and accepted and loved and cared for by ourselves and by another. And it is to risk the possibility of utter heartbreak. And Jesus knew all of this and still loved his own who were in the world all the way to the end. Knowing that humanity is prone to denial and betrayal, Jesus loved and still loves us with a reckless abandon. And it changed and continues to change the world. And we, you and me, are called to a similar life, a similar way of love not only because it can change the world, but because it can change us. When we love, we can connect with this one, this Messiah, who may no longer be physically present with us, but made sure that when we look for him, we can find him in love. When we love, we bind ourselves to the source of all love, to the God who will love us into wholeness and fullness of life. And when we love out of the love that God has poured into us with reckless abandon, we begin to love the world and ourselves and our neighbor into who we were created to be. We begin to love ourselves and our world into completion, into the kingdom of God. So yes, the act of love feels like a risk, but in reality, we know that it's not. And we know this because as an Easter people, we have the hope that all things will be made new through Christ who is and was our beginning and who is and will be our end, our completion, our telos. We know this because we are a people of the resurrection who cling to and proclaim the sure and certain hope that all will be restored and reconciled and made whole and brought into communion with God. To love feels like a risk, but in reality, it is what our whole lives depend upon. So glorify the God of love. Glorify the love of Jesus, the love which washes another's feet, the love which leads to the cross, and then love that same way. Love with reckless abandon, knowing that no matter what happens, no matter what grief or sadness or heartache or conflict or pain our love might endure, 
or force us to endure, all things will be made new. All things will be reconciled. All things will be restored to God through Christ. Love with reckless abandon, knowing that, as Bishop Michael Curry said yesterday, the way to life is the way of love. Love with reckless abandon, and let that love make you complete. I'm going to leave you with a poem written by Desmond Tutu and his daughter Mpo Tutu, because I think it captures actually what I'm trying to say except better. And it's written from God's voice. Do not struggle and strive so, my child. There is no race to complete, no point to prove, no obstacle course to conquer for you to win my love. I have already given it to you. I loved you before creation drew its first breath. I dreamed you as I molded Adam from the mud. I saw you wet from the womb, and I loved you then. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Stop racing ahead at your own pace. You will only be exhausted, flamed out, and spent before the task is accomplished. Pace yourself with me. Walk alongside me. Do you think I don't know the demands of your life? I see you striving for perfection, craving my acceptance. I see you bending yourself out of shape to conform to the image that you have of me. Do you imagine that I did not know who you were when I made you, when I knit you together in your mother's womb? Do you think I planted a fig tree and expected roses to bloom? No, child, I sowed what I wanted to reap. You are a child after my own heart. Seek out your deepest joy and you will find me there. Find that which makes you most perfectly yourself and know that I am at the heart of it. Do what delights you, and you will be working with me, walking with me, finding your life hidden in me. Ask me any question, my answer is love. When you want to hear my voice, listen for love. How can you delight me? I will tell you, love. The tough, unbreakable, unshakable love. Are you looking for me? You will find me in love. Would you know my secrets? There is only one, love. Do you want to know me? Do you yearn to follow me? Do you want to reach me? Seek and serve love. Amen. <laughs>